Welcome, bienvenue, to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is the show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. It's not that big of a deal. I just want to know, will the Vikings make the playoffs? I mean, it looks like nobody else wants are, to. The Vikings are doing, in my opinion, the barest minimum to keep the odds at 50%. <laughs> it's try, like, kind of everybody, true. That is Everybody that is, is playing like, I don't know, is the league paying them off for week 17? Like, what is going on here? Like, why is everyone cutting it so close? I don't know. I, I don't. I, I really don't understand it, but at the same time, if you've looked at the schedule for this coming week, it's not a bunch this of good games. This week is terrible games. They're setting it all. But yep. next week is like really, really good because, it, remember, they, they decided this a couple of years ago to put the divisional games at the very end of the season. So there'll be a lot on the line. Which generally is a good thing, right? So the Vikings play the Lions this weekend and then the Bears, and... It turns out that they can maintain their 50% odds. I ran the New York Times simulator on this. That they can maintain their 50% odds by winning one and losing one of those. So they, yeah. uh, if they if they win both, I think they jack their odds up to 70% or something. I mean, still a chance. Still a, They have the very screwy Still a tie. really good chance to miss out on this. Yeah, but they can't. Right, they they can't um, pass the Bears. No, not possible to pass the Bears. Um, now the question is... Well, I mean, if you read the Minnesota media, the Vikings are already in. The question is, can they make it to the five seed? <laughs> Isn't it crazy? The Giants could have, in theory, passed them a week uh-huh. ago. And, and then they got shut yeah. out. And a bunch of teams like ended up fi- finally falling out. And like, okay, we don't have to think about those teams. It's, it's, so, I, it's so offensive to me that the Redskins are still in. Like a possible in. I know. The Eagles, the Redskins... There could be two teams from the crappy, crappy <laughs> NFC yes. East. Yes. This is, I mean, the NFC is just screwy this year. That I like it's it's very upside down. And all of the teams at the top you feel like could get beaten by any team yep. in the middle. Alright, we'll just see what happens. Yeah, no more Next NFL point. talk here. Peter Jackson's Mortal Engines. You did like that text message message from me. Are we in or are we out on this? Because the critics are out. <laughs> of course. What? What? Visionary what director Peter Jackson. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's all over the place when yep. you're watching NFL. Yep. On Sundays. Yep. All over. They've the clearly place. decided who their target demo is. Yeah. Well, and even. I mean, even in the NF, people watching the NFL, it's like us, not like, like our dads aren't going to go and watch this. Definitely not in theaters. There's, I mean, baby boomers aren't going to go to this. I, I mean, don't you, I sort of assumed that casting Hugo Weaving was an attempt at getting an older audience, or am I misguided on who Hugo Weaving appeals to? You are misguided. Really? Okay. I think so. 
Do you think Hugo Weaving has reckoned with the fact that he only appeals to people 30 years younger than him? <laughs> they probably love this. <laughs> okay. I'm just, I'm just checking. I don't know. He was Some of the, the interviews that he does, some of them are just like, are pretty good. Because you're like, <laughs> this is not the guy that I thought that you were. Especially, he's Agent Smith. He's V. Yeah. He's... Elrond. Elrond, yep. I mean, he's had some some iconic roles. All right. This week on the pod, we're revisiting an old favorite looking at clustering players, but we're doing it with a great new wrinkle where we're looking at it over multiple years. We're trying to do a longitudinal data set tracking across multiple years. So Eric's going to introduce it in the first half, talk about the exercise and how he laid it out. Then in the second half, we'll do a few case studies. So here we go. Multi-year clustering exercise. We floated the idea a few weeks ago when we were talking about the player archetype clusters. Um, And just to kind of go back, this has been a subject three times on the podcast, at least, if (laughs) probably talked about a little bit more. In the preseason, we applied the K-means clustering algorithm to assign players to archetype clusters based on their preseason projections. The idea being that we could separate players into categories like the fast guy, the bomber, the five-tool guy, etc. And then see whether or not player, uh, player types dictated whether players were drafted differently. We actually found that players assigned to the superstar cluster were drafted earlier than other players. Uh, otherwise, it was random. Um, remember that this is normalized. So even players who were predicted to have less playing time, but play like superstars in that time were also drafted differently. That was pretty cool. That is really cool. Remind me again, though, at this point, we're talking about seven clusters or six clusters. We had seven in the preseason, I believe. Because we've we've kind of played around with that a little bit and we will, we'll see that we play around with it here. We've played around with a number of clusters, but Ordinarily, <laughs> we always kind of end up with one really good cluster where the Mike Trouts, the Mike Stantons, the um, Manny Machados, <laughs> just for, you know, people with names that start with M <laughs> end up. And then we have like really, really bad players that you don't want to own, like Freddie Galvis. And then you have players in the middle, and it's the, no how many clusters you can have between those two, I think kind of varies on the data set size. I I agree with that. I'm sure there's an optimal filter that we don't know about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we may get there one day. Um, midway through the season, we compared the preseason cluster clustering assignment to the clustering algorithm run on the year-to-date stats at that point to see which players might be buy low, sell high guys due to a change in their playing type. The thought being that if a player had changed his clustering assignment for the better or worse, he might be a buy low or sell high guy respectively. And I, I loved this idea. Like I think this is exactly how we should be leveraging our tools to give ourselves an advantage. Exactly. Because you want to know if there's a guy who's like, um, who's assigned preseason to the um there are like two fast guy clusters essentially right. if he's assigned to the fast guy cluster that's good 
And then midway through the season, he's assigned to the other fast guy cluster, which is like, uh, you know, essentially the junior version of that. <laughs> you want to, you want to know. And if he's still perceived as a like cool fast guy, I'm thinking about Billy Hamilton, of course. Um, if he's still seen as that preseason guy, you want to take advantage of that. If he's, if you are convinced that the um, the actualized stats are more reflective of his performance for the rest of the year, then he can want to move on from him. Same yeah. thing for like a guy like Eddie Rosario, who was playing, who went from playing like a Freddie Galvis to um, being a 2020 guy that you might want right. to actually own. A few weeks ago, we re-ran the analysis using full season stats, basically that second analysis. And then we were able to see like who over the course of the season didn't, um, didn't change their, their clustering assignment ended up being in the same um, clustering assignment as the preseason stats who changed. Wasn't it, it was preseason projections, right? Preseason projections, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so that I think is a super interesting one as well, because that said something about that again, said something about the level of expectations that people have. Right. Cause it doesn't, it's, it's not really based in who the player is. It's actually based in who the fantasy analysts thought the player was, you know, and, and that's, and that's even harder because sometimes the consensus is that, Oh, this player is going to make the leap. (laughs) Right. And then he doesn't. And then, you know, maybe that's sort of negative on the player, but (laughs) you know, I often, I often steer us away from this direction, but thinking more about like, this also, this is something that feels like it actually would be applicable to MLB GMs as well. Yeah, no, it very. I was thinking the same thing last night as a, I was like writing data frame, data frame, data frame, data frame for the hundredth <laughs> time in a script. Like this, I this agree. really tells yeah. you about the like. We keep coming back to this point. Like this really tells you about the perception of the players mm-hmm. and gives you a hard and fast way to evaluate the stats that a player is accumulating and sort of dispassionately look at it and say, you know, do they actually belong in the group that we perceive them to be in? Yeah, exactly. And you can think about that as both as both the front office and as the marketing guy, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. I And I suspect that the like um the carmelo projections from 538 mm-hmm. for nba i suspect that they're built on something not dissimilar to this our projections when we start doing that in the last month of the of season two that's season two of our podcast that's we'll see i i'm <laughs> have to come up as good as good a name as carmelo i think we can do that we're we up to that it. challenge yeah. <laughs> When we last talked on this subject, we started to think about whether or not players shift clusters over their career. You know, we'd gone to the year-to-date stats. That's the logical next step. I then realized that we could, we could and should be creating our clusters based on real full-season stats instead of projections, and that we could use multiple seasons to make the data set more robust for our clustering. Once we'd done this, we could assign players by season using the same clustering algorithm, rearrange the data to look at each player's clustering assignment by year, aka longitudinally, aka longitudinally. I'm happy to say that there is a repo on GitHub with this work 
that there's a script in that repo that does what I just said, and that script has now worked on two different PCs. Not sure about Macs. I would say later today it'll work on a Mac. <laughs> You'll have to tell me what the changes are so I can remember them. Um, I feel like I just drilled the shit out of an asteroid, dropped a nuke, and went home. Foreshadowing. So a big note on this, uh, we won't really get into the nitty-gritty. A lot of this was just kind of like reshaping data frames, pandas data frames, and doing, thank you, fan graphs, uh, doing some scraping of data from them and querying. But um, big note, each time we've done this exercise, there has been some confusion because k-means randomly assigns an integer value to each cluster. And because it's a number, we want those integers to be ordinal, aka cluster 1 is better than cluster 2, which is better than cluster 3, or vice versa. So this time, I decided to take those random assignments in the clustering, which basically could be colors for all we care about, um, and give them a little bit of an ordinal um, assessment by looking at the centroids of each of those clusters and doing head-to-head as if it was fantasy head-to-head <laughs> and then rearranging the clusters so that um, so that the best was 10, I believe, and the worst was 1. That's right. And then um, we actually have a zero cluster, which is just those players that didn't hit the minimum at-bats in a, in a season. Believe it or not, we actually spend a fair amount of time considering the audio quality on our podcast. Here's an outtake. Is that your same? Is that the same the same one that you've been using, or is that a new? Headset? Same headset. Oh no, it is. Okay. The I got to light. I got to light it up, or you you don't know that it's the same one. It's true. Yeah, there you have we to go. Plug, you have to What's... plug in a separate USB to make it happen to light it up. Why would you do that? Why would you I do don't that? know. Because you can't... I don't know. Are you ready for some case studies? Let's do it. I sliced the data on the simplest brain-dead ways possible, which was <laughs> I looked at who had the highest median scores over all five seasons. Okay. And then who had the highest standard deviation across all five seasons. Okay. So yeah. we just went we just went simple, top line, we'll definitely come back to this. All right, so here are the most consistent top cluster guys, the ones that are in that Jose Bautista 2014 season. 19 of these guys make sense, or 19 guys make the top cluster uh, as the median value for all five seasons. So it took the median across all five, and the median comes out as 10. 14 of them actually make sense. So we've got Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani, Paul Goldschmidt, J.D. Martinez, Donaldson, Encarnacion, Rizzo, Arenado, Harper, Trout, Gary Sanchez, David Ortiz, and Trevor Story. Most of those guys are still relevant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, David Ortiz, it was, I, I actually looked at him as well. Let me bring him up. He's, uh, he's cluster 5, cluster 10, 10. And then zero zero because he just didn't. And so of course the way of course the way the median works out, he's that's going to show up as ten. But I also have the standard deviations here, so I'm looking at these. The reason that I flagged Mike Trout is because he has a 
zero standard deviation. He has not ever yep. been. Never. He has never not been in the ten cluster. He's good. <laughs> he's he's darn good. And even like, and then you have Stanton, who is in in the data set. He's the player right above him. Yep. Ten, ten, five, ten, ten. That's right. So he's got a standard deviation too. So so there's something to be said for also coupling the standard deviation here. So the guys that that are in that top cluster and are consistently consistently in that top cluster are Nolan Arenado, Anthony Rizzo, J.D. Martinez, Paul Goldschmidt. These are all guys with less than one yep. standard deviation. Arenado, one of my favorite guys who is like, I, again, we're at that point in the year where everyone forgets about Nolan Arenado. We totally are. What is going on? Why do people forget about him? He's so good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about, so, and then there's a couple of guys that I think are busting on the scene. And I, I mean, we could make a case for them at the risk of talking about the top guys for too long. Like Aaron Judge has been in the 10 cluster uh, both both seasons that mm-hmm. he qualified. Should we believe that? I, I'm not sure. And then you've got other guys that have large standard deviations like, Josh Donaldson and Bryce Harper and Gary Sanchez, Trevor Story. Those guys are all around two in the standard deviation. Uh-huh. So you should expect a five season from them at some point, which is bad. <laughs> 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 which is like, like, you really don't want to draft a 10 guy at five. So I guess if you were doing a raw draft from scratch, you would want to look at this and say i'm gonna i'm going to value the guys with a smaller standard deviation above the guys with a larger standard deviation right exactly and remember the so the guy who epitomized cluster five was adam duvall in 2017 so you don't want to draft a guy um you don't want to think that you're drafting jose bastista 2014 and at the um and then return adam duvall 2017 value that's great i mean he's like he's decent but you'd (laughs) you'd rather draft someone you'd rather get that guy you know where he's supposed to be which is a diamond in the rough later rounds right exactly um what about these five guys that are in the top 10 cluster but only in the top 10 median but only because they basically had one season right uh I, it's hard to know if we should trust these. Juan Soto, Jake Cave. I mean, I hope Jake Cave legit stays in there. <laughs> Ryan O'Hearn and Lane Adams, Tyler O'Neill. Uh, what do we do with those guys? I mean, Juan Soto, I think people, the, the smart money is on him staying in that cluster. Well, or moving down like to the cluster nine because that's more of the type of player that he is. Um, a cluster nine, just for those of you at home, is... Um... <laughs> Is more of Stephen Piscotty in 2016, 88, 22, 87, 7, 271. So higher average, fewer home runs. Juan Soto probably going to end up there. I, you want to do an over-under here? On Juan Soto? No, on these, you've got six, uh, five guys here. Five guys. Over-under, two guys stay in the top, in um, one of the top two I think, tiers. I think the number is two. Two, yeah. Two out of five of these guys yeah. stay in in tier 10 or move down to just cluster nine. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's, there you go. Wild assertions. 
I'm not I'm not asserting anything. I'm like do not draft these guys in the fifth round because I told you this. Like like don't do that. Like Well, I mean, once Soto definitely is gonna be well, you gotta take him. Yeah. And the but just question is whether you're gonna get some sophomore slump kind of potential there. But right. I would say one of these other guys is gonna just have like a monster season and everyone's going to be like, or at least, you know, it's going to have like a hundred, um, hundred games of like on pace for a monster season. I would say so too. So I think these, these four guys are really worth a flyer. Again, it's Jake cave, Ryan O'Hearn, Lane Adams, Tyler O'Neill, late round flyers, like late round. <laughs> no, we'll tell you, we'll tell everybody <laughs> draft all those guys later. And one of them is going to hit. <laughs> yes. One of them will hit. I feel you might as well put that in the bet box. Just so we're bet box. Oh, that's the going world. in the bet box. <laughs> bet box. Us versus the world. That's yeah. that's our best kind of bet box. Uh, let me give you the guys with the largest variation. Some of whom are relevant. Some of whom uh, are not. So here's a selection of the largest variation guys. Some are. See if you can pick out as we go through this the guys that are, are ascendant and the guys that are descendant. <laughs> yeah. So we got Max Muncy, Devin Messeranco, Mark Teixeira, Javi Baez, Stephen Drew, Trace Thompson, Miguel Sano, Mark Reynolds, JBJ, Aaron Hicks, Sandy Leon, Coco Crisp. These are all guys with standard deviations north of three in their wow. clusters. So they are just wow. they are just wildly inconsistent in this clustering analysis. How is Chris Davis not in this cluster? That tells you Chris Davis isn't in this cluster and everybody is like listening to this thinking like that is one of the most up and down guys that we have and he's and he didn't even make it. Yeah, this is this is a list but Mark Reynolds, yeah. My buddy. I mean, Mark Mark Reynolds to me is like a great Mark Reynolds his median is 5. <laughs> Which means that it's you're perfect. just like you're like okay, so a serviceable player. Well, some seasons he's completely useless. Other years he's great. <laughs> like, oh man, what do I do with that? Two, two, nine, ten, five. I love. <laughs> what do you think about Javier Bias? I mean, we've we've sort of talked and maybe disagreed on him in the past. The clustering analysis says that he's all over the place. Right, and he had. The season of all seasons this year, right? Yeah. Well. Wow. Well, he as... had a pretty good season last year. I and he's a young guy, so he's on a good team. I don't know. It's just all points to this is legit. I think so too. Um, his median cluster is six point five, so I think that's actually a great over under for him where he ends up in clusters. Do you? Oh, I, I mean, take the over every day on that. How far up do you go before you think that he doesn't make the cluster above it? I mean, eight and a half is really hard. It's a lot harder. But would, I take. Would you I take, take the seven? Over, would you take the over at eight and a half? I don't know. That's what I was saying. Is like that would be really tough. What about eight? What if we did eight, where eight's a push? Yeah. Would you take I'd the do over? That. I th- I'll take the under on that. Because eight is Josh Reddick's 2018 season. Which was eighty seven, twenty three, sixty five, nine, two forty one. Like, yeah, Josh uh, Jave Baez could like fall back to that. Yeah, no, I take that. I take the the over. I mean, watch him, watch him have like two weeks this year. <laughs> 
Yeah, but it'll be fine because you prorate all these, so it doesn't matter as long as he rakes for those two weeks. <laughs> mm, true. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, he might end up in cluster zero if he doesn't hit the at-bats. That's also true. All right, you want to wrap this sucker up? I do, and I feel obliged to talk about the Rule 5 draft because we talked about it last week. <laughs> and uh, my point is not much is interesting happening, although I appreciate that the Orioles did just like straight up steal a raised prospect. Pretty good. Good <laughs> somebody, stuff. Somebody that was, you know, rated not that low. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, you might as well. I don't know. Does do teams like, is there some kind of gentleman's rule about this? I don't think so. Yeah. I think this is, well, I imagine there must be, but the thing that I, the thing that I also didn't appreciate is that there's a triple A phase as well. And honestly, those might be more relevant for our fantasy Mm. purposes. And this is just getting into stuff that we like, I just do not understand. (laughs) I I don't get it either. Um, I can't pretend to understand it, but the I think if we're talking about a place where we might make real fantasy headway, mm-hmm. it's AAA players and identify when they come up. Get them a year early into our uh, into our projections coming February oh, 2019. We are really talking that up in a dangerous way, but okay. Oh yeah. Uh, so just to you know, shortstop Richie Martin. Richie Martin, A's number twelve prospect. Now he's on the Orioles. You know he's going to see playing time. Oh, yeah, he will. <laughs> uh, just not that many guys got picked. 14 guys only picked. No, that's. it feels like that's a lot smaller than usual. All right, maybe I should stop talking about the, the Rule 5 draft, but it's, it's baseball. Something is happening there. here. We don't understand. There's things. Well, I mean, there's so much player movement, and we're going to have to do a podcast on that. Oh, we're going to absolutely have to do that. I think that about brings us to the review session. Armageddon. <laughs> I'm glad that we blocked off an appropriate amount of time for this because this movie, this, this movie, movie is insane. This is our, this is our like biggest head scratcher inclusion. I'm sure for some people out there, but how could it possibly be? This is this is arguably the most logical movie that we've ever picked. <laughs> like, first of all, it has a cast that has just been doing done all sorts of fantasy things oh my god yeah a bunch of our old friends <laughs> second of all it's space so clearly right, so you're in for me <laughs> and we're blowing stuff up so <laughs> i mean that's that's always good but there is nothing like the fact that we just went on our steve buscemi fortnight i know <laughs> steve buscemi 98 is that's what we've done two weeks in a, in a row <laughs> <laughs> obviously the most relevant Steve Buscemi for us. I can't get over how different he looks between the two movies. It's because he's talking more. You're right, though. It, like, he comes out totally differently. He's so gross. Liv Tyler. Liv Ty- Tyler, one of our one of our old friends. One of our old friends. I, I don't know what... I mean... This is also, thankfully, our only Billy Bob Thornton movie, but I I actually like him in this role. Like, he does a He's really great good job. Role. It's so upsetting yeah. to me. Like, I don't want to like him. I love how they add the cripple, the cripple piece in just randomly. Like, sure, why why not? We have, I mean, this is in the era where, it, like, movies were getting longer. 
getting way too long. Yeah. Uh, this is another great entry in our How CGI Has Progressed <laughs> catalog. <laughs> they were at, I do like that late 90s stage where there was a lot less like, we're just going to, we're just going to crank our way through this, even though it looks like crap. There was a lot more sleight yeah. of hand kind of stuff done in this one. I think this movie actually did a really good balance of what, what should real effects be? What should we do real uh-huh. effects for? And what should we, like, okay, we, we just have to CGI for this. Yeah. The thing that the, the thing that I think they would do better if you remade this movie now is what it would be like to be on the asteroid. Because that clearly, when, you, when I rewatched this movie, I was like, okay, they're in a studio doing this part. Nice. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I 100% agree. It's very like 1980s kind of style there and it's they did that like we have these thrusters to keep you on the ground you know they make a whole big deal about it to try to make you you know not consider this one piece being illogical (laughs) they did not do enough misdirection to keep me from thinking about how illogical this was (laughs) i i know you're in it like the whole movie and it's just like such um male movie i mean aces bechdel test and it's just like so just so many things that are so phallic and so like guy centric <laughs> there like wait there there are two three women in the movie like i'm i'm literally racking my brain right now for female characters in the movie there's Dottie, who's um oh, okay four called right. a, a life-sucking yep Dottie has half a line in it, mm-hmm. and it's a nagging line. Okay. Two. So, I think she has two lines. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then, obviously, there's Liv Tyler. There's the pilot. Watts. Watts, that's right. And then there's the random wife, wife. of the dude. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, there's the stripper. Strippers. Wow, we, Michael Bay, really good at just... So forward thinking. Yeah. He, he, he was like... Well, they told me I have to put some women in here, so I will do every archetype possible. <laughs> I've got uh, whores, strippers. I've he he fundamentally misunderstood the direction of the Bechdel test. <laughs> I've got <laughs> nagging wife. I've got um, like semi useless uh, daughter. I've got um, all of them. Uh, lots astronomically wrong with this movie. I don't have time to get into it. No, we don't. We'll have just time. we're gonna we're gonna leave that one. That's fine. I mean, perfect. Pretty sweet orbital dynamics slingshot around the moon. I'm way into that. Okay, that's all I'll say. I'm done. I'm done. I just needed to say that. What are we doing this week? I have a proposal. We gotta watch some Sherlock. All right, I'm in. I think two episodes. Okay, they're hours. A full season. Well, full season is three. Three. I think that's a little ambitious, but we can see that's how a we ambitious. can see how we do. Let's yeah, let's give it a try. Yeah. Season one? Season one. All right. Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, Mind the Z. All right, my man. All I've got left is worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too. Yeah.